Hi, this is Oren. If you find these teachings useful and you'd like to learn more about my work, you can visit me online at orenjsofer.com or on social media at orenjsofer. Thanks so much. So I want to talk a little bit about this, uh, this second part of the meditation practice we teach in this tradition. But first a little, uh, a little poll, I want to do a little poll. How many people practiced walking meditation during the walking meditation period? <laughs> Great, at least some, good. How many people felt bored at all? Only two people? Come on. Oh, great. Okay. How many people? Uh, how many people felt tempted, whether or not you did, felt tempted to get a snack or a cup of tea or go look in the bookstore? Raise your hand if you if you noticed that. Okay. You don't have to. You don't have to admit if you went and followed it or not. But you noticed it. Good. Okay. So, um, so as we were saying earlier in the morning, if, uh, if all we ever do is come back to the breath and keep putting things aside, that's kind of limited because eventually we have to deal with stuff in life. So uh, the second part of the practice is, is called vipassana, or insight, or clear seeing. And uh, these, these two, although they're presented and talked about separately, they're actually not so separate. We can practice them in a separate way, but they're really, they really go hand in hand because in order to, in order to uh, help the mind settle, you need to at least see clearly a little bit what's going on and what to put aside and what to focus on, right? So you need some amount of clear seeing to help your mind relax and and get collected. And in the same way, the mind needs to be stable to a certain degree in order to see clearly. If you're trying to look through a telescope and it's wobbling, you're not going to really see anything. So this is why we practice the calming meditation first, uh, which is to help the help help stabilize our vision internally. Vision is obviously it's a metaphor, but it's to stabilize our mind so that we can actually discern more clearly what's happening. So this is about mindfulness. Mindfulness is the the capacity that we have to know what's happening directly. To know what's happening directly. And it's a very particular kind of knowing. So I want you to pay attention to the sound of this bell. So you just hear the sound. Listen.
So mindfulness. So how many people could hear that vibratory tone? All of us have functioning ears, we could hear that. How many people noticed, either during the time or now that I pointed out, the thought, that's the bell? Anyone have that idea in your mind? That's that's the sound of a bell? Maybe, maybe it wasn't a conscious thought, but you recognize that as a bell. Yeah, okay. Did anyone like the sound? Oh, that's nice. Did anyone not like the sound? You're kind of like, oh, that's kind of tinny. I've heard better bells. Okay, all right. So mindfulness is knowing the experience directly in an unbiased way, in an undistorted way. Mindfulness is just, it's just hearing the vibratory tone. Bell is added. Bell is a concept. I like it is a reaction. I don't like it is a reaction. So mindfulness is just sometimes called bare attention. So it's just that capacity to know what's happening directly in as unbiased and undistorted a way as possible. So what this does for us is is a couple things. Actually it does a lot of things. Um, It gives us back our life. We spend so much of our life uh, daydreaming or rushing or uh, trying to make things the way we want them, trying to become something. And so we miss the actual experience of being alive. We miss the, the, the taste of it, the actual substance of being alive. So mindfulness opens opens our uh, it's like clearing out the, the channels of experience and it opens it opens ourself to to really fully being alive by being able to, to hear the sound of the bell, to really hear it, to see a sunset, to see your friend or your husband or your wife your child, to really see them in this moment as a human being, as, as a person, independent of your ideas and stories and memories and preferences, right? So mindfulness gives us back our life, and then it, it has a very powerful function. It helps us to see the difference between our experience and the stories that we tell, the stories that we tell, stories like, I like that sound, or I've heard better bells. That's, very, that's a very kind of mundane story. But what about the story, I'm no good at this. I'll never be good at this. I'm unattractive. I'm better than they are. Who's he think he is? What's his problem? All the stories that we tell, about ourselves, about other people, about life, about what's possible, about who we are, who we aren't. That's where we really start to suffer. That's where we limit ourselves and limit our potential. 
and limit other people's potential, right? So we see we see ourselves and others through certain filters and ideas, through our preferences, through our desires. So mindfulness helps us to start to see those filters more clearly, to see those biases in the mind, and uh, and 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 separate them out and notice. Oh, well, that's that's something I'm adding. That's extra. You know, the way we judge one another based on gender, class, race, all the different categories that, that of groups to which we belong as human beings, and then we and then we react and judge one another based on that. I'm starting to be able to separate those things out, and then that same process happening internally with how we relate to ourselves. So this is one of the very important roles of mindfulness. And what's important about this is uh, this, whole, this whole training, this whole cultivation, the point of it is to help us to be happier in life. It's to, it's to help us learn how to actually have a life that's meaningful. Know, to feel a sense of peace and contentment and wholeness inside to uh, to resolve the sense of of uh, like uh, gnawing emptiness that we're always trying to fill or or this kind of underlying anxiety that's part of being human to not be driven or oppressed by that. That's the point of this whole practice. And, and, and the function of mindfulness is to help us, mindfulness, when it's combined with stability, the, the effect of calming, when the mind is stable and there's mindfulness, then wisdom starts to grow. And wisdom is helps us to see what leads to peace and what leads to suffering. We start to see, like the question we were talking about this morning, God, when I, when I try to make something happen, I get really frustrated. We start to see that more clearly. We start to see this particular impulse, this particular pattern in my mind and my heart when this when this comes up, if I follow it, it's not helpful to me. It's not helpful to other people. I, I get out of balance and 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 uh, disconnected. I don't feel I don't feel at ease inside. And we start to see which impulses, which energies, which qualities lead more towards a sense of peace and happiness, you know. Start to see, oh, it's okay, Oren. You know, you're, you're making an effort. It's okay. And then you feel something soften, something settle inside. Oh, wow, look at that. There's some, some kind of gentleness and compassion. That really feels good. 
And so the mind starts to learn in an intuitive way, not in an intellectual way, in an intuitive way, what's painful, what goes in the direction of more pain, and what's not painful, what goes in the direction of more peace and ease and and well-being inside. And mindfulness is the key quality that, that leads the way through that. There are many other qualities that are necessary. We need stability, we need wisdom, we need interest, we need patience. Um, we need energy. All these other qualities come to help, but mindfulness leads the way by revealing our direct experience, because that's the only way we're going to learn. It's like my first teacher used to say, when you know that fire is hot, you don't touch it. You can't learn that fire is hot by thinking about it or looking at it. You have to touch it. You actually have to touch it. You know, as a kid, we reached out and we touched that stove and it burned. So here in the heart and the mind, we actually have to touch. And again, this is a metaphor, but the, 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 we, have to, we have to experience directly what it feels like to be caught in frustration. To know, I don't want to feed this anymore. I don't, this is not helpful. How, how is this happening? How do I keep getting caught here? And then we start to, start to look more closely and tease apart. Where is this, what's this resting on? How's this, how's this fit together? This place that I keep getting stuck. What, what were the thoughts that led into this? Where was the reaction? What happened before? Oh, that person said that one thing earlier today. And I interpreted it. I thought, she doesn't like me. And then I remembered... Oh, and then I started feeling like no one likes me. That's why I'm so depressed. She just looked at me funny. Huh. You start to see how the mind works and how we get caught. So the practice, the technique for this is is vipassana, is insight practice. And so once the mind has some stability, some steadiness... There are many different degrees. Uh, so you can, one teacher used to say, uh, if you can feel your breath and count to like eight, breathing in, breathing out, one, breathing in, breathing out, two. If you can get up to eight, that's enough to do Vipassana practice. doesn't mean there are no thoughts that ever occur, but you don't lose track. You're able to feel the breath at least a little bit Eight times. Sometimes you sit and you just you just one two one one two one two three one. Two. It's just like that. You never get it. You know that's fine. That's great. That's useful. Okay, but there's some stability in the mind. Then we start to look. Then we start to look. We start to see. Okay, what's happening? And this is where we begin to open the attention. It's not just about come back to the breath. Come back to the breath. Come back to the breath. 
the breath becomes the primary object or the anchor, as it's called, and that's like home base. We, keep, we come back to the breath, we steady ourselves there, we gather our attention there, we rest there. But then we include the rest of our experience, which means we include our body sensations, physical sensations. We include the other sensory, physical sensory experiences of sight, sound, smell, and taste. When you're sitting in meditation, usually that just means hearing because there's not much smell and there's not much taste and there's not much seeing happening because your eyes are closed or you're just looking down at the ground. So in terms of formal sitting meditation, body sensation sound. Then we also start to include um, the thoughts and emotions that come and go. Noticing those. And we include the, uh, the flavor of experience. So something's very pleasant. It's like, oh, that's nice. I like that. The sun, it's warm. Mm, nice. Right? So there's, there's the sensation of the sun that's warm. I can feel that. It's warm. But it's also pleasant. There's this kind of pleasantness to it. It's a particular quality. So we can notice that quality of experience. So the way that this practice is done traditionally uh, is you, many ways to do Vipassana practice, I should say, many, many ways to do this practice of insight. Um, One of the most common techniques and the technique that many of the teachers in this uh, lineage or tradition are trained in that comes out of Burma, you use the breath or some other uh, tangible uh, ex- uh, um, experience like sound or the body from the calming. You use that as your home base. And you come back there whenever you're confused or frazzled or there's nothing else going on. You just hang out there. And then whatever's, whatever's predominant, whatever comes into the foreground of your awareness you give that your full attention. You can give her a little poke. She probably might not want to be asleep. It's okay. So whatever's in the foreground of your awareness, whatever's actually calling your attention, that becomes the primary object. So if there's a sound that's really strong, you let go of the breath and you just hear the sound. You're mindful of that sound, which means not, I wonder where that sound's coming from. Is that the air or the recorder? somebody's phone. No, that's not hearing, that's thinking. You just hear the sound, the vibratory tone, the pitch, the direct experience. And you stay with that experience as long as it's compelling for the attention, as long as it engages the attention. Let's say it fades. Then you come back to the breath. Hang out there. Then your knee starts to hurt. Your attention is drawn to the pain that becomes the object of your meditation and begin to explore that experience. So you start to notice the sensations, the aching, the, the, the tightness. Then you start to notice this really unpleasant. Oh, this is unpleasant. Then you start to notice the, that everything's tightening up. You see if you can relax that. Then the mind starts thinking, you know, 
Why is my knee hurt? My knee, oh, that's thinking. So you're just kind of following the changing experience that's coming through your awareness. Thoughts, sounds, sensations. Whatever's in the, whatever in the foreground, whatever kind of in the front of your awareness, that's the object of your meditation. That's what you're knowing clearly, directly with mindfulness. It's replaced by something else, then you know that. So there's hearing, there's a sound. Then there's a thought. How much longer till the bell rings? Oh, that's thinking. Then you feel the breath, the breathing, the breathing. Then there's an itching sensation, and you're aware of that, itching. You notice it changing. And it gets really intense. And then what becomes predominant is the discomfort. Really unpleasant, you're noticing that. Then you really want to itch. So you notice that impulse to itch. You become aware of that impulse. Then then it starts to fade, and you notice that fading. Then it's tickling, you notice the tickling. And it's kind of pleasant, it's the buzzing, you notice the pleasantness, the buzzing. Then it fades completely, you come back to the breath. Then there's the thought. You see, see? You're just following experience, whatever's, whatever's there in the front of your mind. You're with that fully, completely. Give it your full attention, directly. See if you can notice the difference between what's happening and your stories, the reactions, what we're adding to the experience. And when things get difficult or confusing or stressful, you just come back, just come back to home base, stay with your primary object, breathing, or if you're using sound. So is this clear? So this is, this is how the practice of Vipassana generally is, is done in this, in this tradition. Question about the instructions? The question was, it's, is it just knowing that you've shifted your attention? Just be with what's happening in the moment. Be with what's happening in the moment. You don't have to keep track. Was I here? Was I there? Just whatever's happening, be with that experience fully and completely in the sitting. There's a sensation, stay with the sensation as long as it's as long as it's strong. That changes, it's replaced by something else, so stay with that. Come back to the breath. Sometimes it can feel like the breath is still there in the background. You can still feel the breath and you're noticing a sound and it's almost like they're both there. That's fine. You're giving more attention to to the sound maybe if that's stronger. Okay? Yeah. Walking or sitting? sitting. Right. So with walking meditation, generally the generally the practice is to stay with the sensations of the walking. In general, when you're sitting is more is more is more what I'm describing. Yeah. With the walking meditation, generally you stay with the sensations of walking, and just. Uh, just observing how those sensations change. Sure. So if there's an injury, it's really painful. You, uh, a couple of things. You might want to modify how you're walking because you don't want to hurt yourself or re-stimulate the injury. Um, you can notice this, the painful sensation. 
Notice if the mind is reacting to it. One of the things we start to learn is that our reactions to unpleasant things and and to pleasant things in many ways are where we start to get entangled, waste our energy, and uh, create more problems for ourselves. So you can notice the difference between the unpleasant sensation and the worry about the future. Is it going to get worse? The beating yourself up. God, I was so stupid the day that that injury happened. I know I should have. And you start beating yourself up over the past. right? Or you start looking around at other people and you're like, their ankle doesn't hurt. How come my ankle hurts? Why am I the one with the bum ankle? Right? Right. You start to see the difference. Exactly. You start to see the difference between just an unpleasant sensation and all the reactions and stories we lay on top of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Please. Uh, while, while I was doing the walking, um, I'd like to know... If the mic's on, let's use it. It's on and okay. Uh, I noticed observing, so I was out in... While you were walking, you noticed observing. You were noticing the, sa- the sights. Yeah. I was focusing on the walking, so the way... Right. Yeah, enjoying the sights. You're okay. Yeah, it's fine, fine. Just be be conscious of that. That that's what's happening, right? So as I was saying earlier in response to this gentleman's question, there's there's you there's there's a a, a usefulness in paying attention in a concerted way to just the sensations of walking. And really putting down the external sensory world as much as... You're saying you're not blocking stuff out, but you're not paying attention to it. You're really just, as a way of training your mind and your body to be aware while walking. And then you can also include other experience. Just like in the sitting, you can include sounds and sensations and thoughts. Other things can come and go in your awareness. The same thing in walking. Other experience can come and go in your awareness. But you just try to be fully aware. So if you're walking and you choose to to look, to notice, be there with the seeing. Be fully aware of the seeing. Know that seeing is happening. Rather than being lost in the seeing, being lost and kind of like minds wandering and are just kind of like, oh, nice trees. No, we can look at something and know that seeing is happening. Be aware of the experience, the color, the light, the shape, really tasting it, so to speak. Yeah, please. Just wait for the mic. We got them working now. I'm trying to figure out how what you're talking about relates to something else. Okay. Um, because it seems to me that all of this practice, then we bring it. I know, for example, when I go on retreat. Um, I go to a different place than I ever get to on a day long. Um, Mm -hmm. But in day longs, practicing like this, then you bring that into retreat. And in retreat, sometimes what happens is both this kind of incredible opening Mm -hmm. and then also just kind of out of nowhere, without even attention, it almost feels like these kind of understandings Mm -hmm, emerge. mm -hmm. Right. And I'm just kind of wondering how to fit that into what you're talking about. How to fit what the or the arising of a spontaneous insight into what I'm talking about? Or so 
if we just are with our experience uh-huh, in a moment-to-moment in way, in a moment-to-moment way, mm-hmm, and we mm-hmm. also pay attention to how we sometimes take that experience and get off and go into stories and do whatever we do with it, which is which is part of the experience. It's not separate from the experience. It's just right. part of it. Yeah, right. If we do that, but then there's this other thing that happens, and I've only experienced uh-huh. it on retreat, and I'm just kind of of a spontaneous understanding. Yeah, this understanding things, right. of much okay, bigger thing. Got it. Right. In this kind of open way, that's yeah. just quite different. That's called insight, and that's one of the fruits or results of meditation practice. And it's not something that we can control. It's not something that we produce. Um, it's a shift in our perspective sometimes, or like you said, a spontaneous understanding that arises when the conditions are right. So some, a lot of what we're doing in this practice is we're supporting the conditions for insight to arise. And the conditions for insight to... We all have insight in our lives. Even if you've never practiced meditation, you know, you, you just going through your life and or thinking about something you're like oh you know I'm, I'm wanting to curse you know oh beep <laughs> that's what was going on there right or 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 not even on a personal level just something more profound like you all of a sudden you often in nature maybe you're watching the sunset and you just feel like connected to everything and like there's some understanding that it goes far beyond you know, our own small sense of who we are. It's just an intuitive sense of like we're part of everything and it's okay. Even all the violence and suffering, it's just we're all part of something larger. It's just, it's not even a word, there's not even words to it. It's just a, you just feel something that's just like, oh, and you remember something very deep and intimate, right? So the some of the conditions out of which that arises are the mind being relaxed, stable, curious, interested, clear. There's a continuity of awareness. The mind is paying attention to things in a, in a, in a certain way. And then it can, it can shift out of its ordinary way of interpreting experience to see experience in a different way. Yeah, you're welcome. How is that different from being lost in thought? Um, What I was describing, that narration, is that what you mean? That's a secondary um, result. The experience itself is not thinking. You know, like, uh, maybe you're spending time with someone and, and all of a sudden you kind of realize, like, we're here together now. You really like you, 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 you become aware of the fact that life is passing and this time together is precious. And that experience is a lived understanding. It's not a thought. The visual field gets sharper, your heart opens, you feel connected. There's a sense, there's both a sense of of time slowing down and becoming like very, very spacious, but there's also a sense of the preciousness and the fleetingness of the moment. You know what I'm talking about, right? 
And then there might be the thought, this is all we have. This is going to pass. Those thoughts, or it's like the mind looking back to, to put words to or understand, to put words to what it has just understood. So that's the way insight often works. There's a spontaneous shift or understanding that happens that's wordless. It's a felt experience at a deep level, sometimes at very, very deep levels. And then the cognitive function will, will kick in to, to kind of reflect on it and put words on it as a way of, of, of digesting it and uh, turning it over. And that's a natural process. There's nothing wrong with that. But it's distinct in some way. Does that answer the question? Yeah, great. Mm. A question I got um, on the clear seeing mm-hmm. from the Vipassana instruction. Um, so this morning I spent a lot of time focusing on if something came in, I was like, okay, that's interesting, mm-hmm. and then go back to breath. And um, so on clear seeing, can you go in with an intention, or mm-hmm. I want to work through this thing this that's thing. difficult for myself great. right now, great. or do you just rely on the present moment, so if it comes up, then you take care of it, or right. you go into that sitting saying, like, I want to work on this thing. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how that, that works. I understand the question, yeah. Um, both. <laughs> both are helpful. It's very, it's very in general, in, in general in the instructions for meditation practice, the guideline is just show up. Just show up. So you don't have to engineer anything. You know, that's, that's, that's the basic guideline. And um, that, that, that is true and useful in two very important ways. One, it's true and useful because it's, it's, um, it's how we train ourselves in this particular skill of meditation. Because our default, the way that we live our lives is to engineer things. That's, that's how we function. So it's important to learn how to do it differently, how to actually let go of the control mechanisms and just be open and learn from that. So that's one, that's one reason why it's useful to not go in with an agenda, basically, right? That's one reason why. Um, Another reason why, I know I said there are two, but I'm going to say three. Another reason why is that um, going in with an agenda uh, increases the likelihood that you will suffer. Because, I'm sorry to keep coming back to your question, but it's, it's a great, it, it illustrates something, you know, principle about practice. Because if you go in with like, okay, I got to figure out this relationship. Is this working for me or not? I want to stay in this relationship or not. And you like think about it and you feel about it and you, and then after 45 minutes, you're not any more clear. Then you're going to be like, dang it, you know? So as, as soon as we have an agenda, then there's the possibility of that agenda not being accomplished. And then we, we, we kind of get, we can get entangled in it if you don't know how to do it skillfully. So that's the second reason. The third reason, and this is on a much broader arc of spiritual development, um, our the process of awakening is a natural process. It's like a a tree growing, or a stream that's been polluted. 
purifying itself. You stop dumping chemicals in it, ecosystem will purify itself. That, that's the process of awakening as a natural process. We can't engineer it. It's much more intelligent than we are. So what needs to be understood will come into our awareness at its, when, when we're ready, when it's right, in the larger scheme of things. All that said, it can be useful sometimes to just say, you know, I'd like to think through this, or I'm curious, what's this about? What's this about? And to consciously call something to mind, that relationship, that conversation, this particular pattern, you know? And then to use the skills of meditation to investigate it, to look into it, to explore it, to feel it. So both are true for different reasons. Yeah, maybe one or two more, and then let's uh, so, just wait for the so for the mic there. The mic. Oh. oh, you don't like the mic. That's right. I'll just repeat the question. You've experienced. So let me just summarize for the recording and for anyone who couldn't hear, saying that um, sometimes you, quote, fall off the wagon of the practice, which I don't quite know what that means, but it sounds like maybe you're not practicing actively or you're not feeling as connected to your practice and you have these periods that are very raw and you feel heartbroken and kind of torn open and that tends to be a very creative time for you and you write in a very engaged way and then you start practicing again and you lose the connection with that sense of rawness and the creativity and that you feel there's a kind of conflict between those two yeah yeah well what comes to mind for me is the distinction, questioning the distinction between what is and isn't practice. And, uh, you know, if we're, if, we're, if we're practicing properly, it does open us up and lead to a sense of rawness because it's quite vulnerable. That's one of the reasons we don't like to slow down and, and, and get calm, actually. We all think we want to feel calm and peaceful, but as soon as you start to feel calm, you start to feel vulnerable. Because as soon as you're here more, you feel things. We feel our vulnerability. Sometimes you feel the blood pumping through your whole body. That's quite, it can be exhilarating, but it's also quite vulnerable because you feel the fragility of life. You feel the uncertainty of life. So, you know, I've, 
I write poetry and I've I've written songs and played the guitar and so forth. So I have some 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 sense of what you're talking about that the way that this, the the suffering of the heart can be generative in the creative process. So I would just I would just bring a lot of a sense of openness and investigation to the whole process and to try not to separate anything from your practice. Formal meditation exercises are only one 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 part of the path. It's about living with awareness and bringing a, bringing certain qualities and perspective to our experience. You know, and also pay attention to to there's a way particularly where we can we can kind of feed our suffering as a way to generate energy for creativity where we you know and just to look at that and see what's useful about it and what's not useful about it yeah there is one more hand here yeah this this gentleman and then we'll shift gears Hi. Um, so one question I had was when you first mentioned um, with insight, there's the separation of your experience and the story you tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I think of the story, it's you know it can be from feeling as well as judgment as well. So what do you um, mean by that? Because um, I feel like there's a feeling that you have. It's like oh, I like this. I don't uh-huh. like this. Right. Versus a judgment is like oh, this person is bad or this right. person is good. Right. Um, okay. Versus it's how you feel versus how you kind of impose your view on something else. Okay. Um, at, so I guess um, when I think of the feeling part of it, isn't that part of insight as well? Um, All of it is. There's nothing outside of it. That's the thing. Like uh, someone over here, this person was saying how there's the experience and then there's the... So I want to just make a distinction. When I said, I didn't, I don't think I used the word separating the experience from the stories we tell. It's about knowing the difference. Not so much separating like this stuff is good and this stuff is bad because the stories we tell are also part of our experience. We're conscious beings. We're thinking beings. So the stories we tell are just another uh, way that we experience the world. So the the insight practice includes all of that. Does that answer the question, or is there something else there? I guess maybe just to clarify, we don't want to necessarily ignore our stories. No, we want that to be a part of. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's and it's to know, it's to see the stories clearly so that we can better evaluate which ones are useful and which ones aren't. Sometimes we need to make judgments in life. We need to evaluate things. You know, you need to evaluate, is this someone I can trust? Is this someone I want to I want to lend money to or is this someone I want to share something very personal with? Those are those are important judgments that we make. The problem is when we make judgments or evaluations or interpretations unconsciously and habitually. Right? That's, that's when we start to get into trouble on a personal level or on a societal level when we start judging people based on their political views or the color of their skin or the way that they dress, right? Because we don't see, we don't see that come into the mind and then we take it for reality. That's the problem. Yeah, great, thank you. Great. So, um, why, don't we, why don't we take... Uh, maybe 10 minutes to stretch move your body and then and then we'll do another period of sitting meditation
So I'll just ring the bell in here. So if you could stay in this room or, or not, not too far so that you hear the bell.
So let's do uh, let's do one more period of meditation together. <clears throat> Settling into the posture and finding this balance, this balance in the body of relaxation. And alertness, quality of interest. Connecting with the sense of gravity. So feeling the weight of the body. And letting that draw the awareness into your body. Taking up this inner orientation of relaxation, letting go. The intention to arrive more fully and see what's already here. relaxing, coming into presence. Seeing if you can find these flavors of kindness and interest Spending time with a good friend. How you doing? What's going on? And we just listen. We're genuinely interested. How is it to be here right now and feel the body sitting? Letting the breath come into your awareness. And feeling the steady sensations of breathing in and breathing out.
I invite you to do a short exercise with me. First, letting go of the breath and open your awareness to feeling any other sensations in the body. So just whatever's strongest. You might notice the hardness or weight of the contact with the chair. There might be tingling or buzzing somewhere. Could be an itching or an aching sensation somewhere. Just whatever's whatever's present. Just give your full attention to any sensations in the body. Let them come and go and just observe sensations for the next minute or two. That could include the breath, but open wider. Next, shift your attention to hearing. Give all of your attention to the experience of hearing. Notice the quality of any sounds as they come, go, and change.
it's natural for the mind to label and identify sounds, but just keep bringing your attention back to the actual direct experience of hearing. See if you can keep noticing sounds connected to the experience of hearing. So next, I invite you to turn your attention to thinking. So in the same way that we can listen to sounds, see if you can listen to any thoughts that come through your awareness. Might be helpful to feel the body sitting or breathing Thoughts occur as words and as pictures, images in the mind. See if you can just observe and notice any thoughts, any words or images that come and go through your awareness. Just like you're listening to the sound of my voice coming and going. See if you can observe the stream of thoughts or images coming and going.
next, I invite you to shift your attention to the heart and see any kind of emotion or mood present. How's the heart feeling? Is it calm? Might be anxious, sad, happy, confused. Feel and listen inwardly. What's the inner landscape like? Any moods or emotions present? See if you can just know and feel that as it is without needing to change it, get away from it, fix it, without needing to make it last. Finally, coming back to the breath. Letting your attention settle with the simplicity of breathing in and breathing out.
So if you like, you can stay with the breath or you can open to this range of experience, allowing whatever is stronger, whatever is predominant to be the object of your meditation, letting it change and flow, being with each moment directly.
So we have a, a little bit more time for one more short round of, of questions before we end for the day. And uh, you had a question, right? Also want to, um, maybe if you've, uh, if you've already spoken today, maybe just hang back and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll just make some space for people who haven't had a chance to ask a question who might, might have something on their mind. Thanks for today. I think I have a better understanding of the value of number one, calming and trying to sort of clear the mind of thoughts during meditation. And my question was trying to understand what, if anything, we can take from that into the rest of our lives where we, of course, can't just clear our minds of thoughts. We have Mm -hmm. to be having thoughts all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just wondering... Yeah. What what of the kind of clear scene? What do you take away from meditation into the, your sure. your rest of your life? Thank you. It's an important question. Uh, two things. First, um, I would I would uh, I wouldn't say that the point of the first practice of calming is to clear our mind of thoughts, and I think it's very important to clarify that because when we have that idea, thoughts become the enemy, and we start to struggle. Uh, so thoughts are just like sounds. Just we just don't have to get involved with them. So it's just to let them be there, and the mind can still be kind of settled and calm and get more stable. Um, in terms of thinking, the carryover into our life is that we see thoughts more clearly, so we know how to use thinking. Thinking is a tool, and it's generally a tool that we overuse. So um, we can start to recognize... Uh, when our thinking is unnecessary, like we're just spinning our wheels, and the more skilled you become at meditation, the more you you recognize that, and then you go, oh, and you can just put it down, and just stop thinking about it. Um, and uh, and we can start to recognize what thoughts are useful and what thoughts aren't useful, a little bit like what we were talking about. Uh, the Dalai Lama likes, uh, has a, a good distinction that probably comes of the Tibetan tradition where he says thinking can be valid or invalid. So it's important to, to be aware of our thoughts, to know when to use thinking, how to use it, and which thoughts are thoughts worth pursuing, which thoughts are accurate, which thoughts are not worth pursuing, which thoughts are not accurate. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Darnest thing, my thoughts are always accurate and other people's aren't, though. Right. Yeah, I would question that one. (laughs) Yeah, please. Thank you for the session today. This was my first experience, um, or first um, participation in a meditation retreat. It was very useful. Great, I'm glad. I have a slightly practical question. Um, I still feel, so when I feel like I'm trying to um, focus with the breathing, uh-huh. and I'm more relaxed, uh-huh. it sort of drift into this drowsiness yeah. back and forth, and I keep having to sort of open my eyes, be more alert. 
Right. And this right. keeps repeating every right. few minutes. Sure. I'm Very common. If it's just a matter of practice or something more. It could be both, yeah. Very again, very common that experience. It could be just a matter of practice. Um, often, what happens is that as you start to focus on the breath, your mind actually starts to get calm, and then the calm moves into drowsiness. So the um, the balance for that is bringing, trying to bring more interest and energy in to the experience. So the calming with the breath, or just focusing on the breath, it's very soothing. Once, there's a, once the mind is a little bit, you just start to feel like, oh yeah, I'm here. Start to get curious about the breath. So see if you can notice the beginning, the middle, and the end of an in-breath. See if you can sustain your attention from the beginning to the middle to the end of an out-breath. See if you can notice uh, when the out-breath stops. And then what happens? Is there a pause? Does it turn right away and become the in-breath? See if you can notice like the shape of the breath. How full is it? How shallow is it? So you can, you can, does it have any texture? You can get very precise, very interested in the breath. When the mind is interested in something, it doesn't fall asleep. So you can, you can kind of uh, like come forward a little bit into it and see if you can uh, d- experience the breath more clearly. Yeah. Yeah, please. Hey, this is <clears throat> another question about thoughts. Um, I wonder if you could clarify the, the difference between um, in clear seeing when you allow thoughts to be the focus of meditation. Right. The difference between that and letting your thoughts carry you away and get sure. lost in your thoughts. Yeah, thank you. That's such an important question. Um, so there's, uh, there's two things I'll say. So one, I think the first step is just being able to see thinking as thinking. And that that takes some doing. My one of my first meditation teachers used to say, learn to see thought as thought. So we need to, we need to actually first just be able to see thinking as a mental phenomenon. Just in the same way that we can you can right now you're listening to the words that I'm saying and you're understanding the meaning, and if I point out that you're hearing, now you're aware that there's hearing happening. You're experiencing the sounds as hearing. You're still aware of the meaning, but there's also awareness that hearing is happening, right? So that's the difference between just thinking and being aware that thinking is happening. It's a certain experience. Okay? So you can play with thinking. You can think a thought deliberately like, the sky is blue. Think that thought. You can slow it down. You can put pauses between each word. The sky is blue. To try to just see what it is to have a word appear in the mind or an image. 
Okay, so the, that's the first thing, is to just learn to see thinking in pictures and words as its own phenomenon. And part of what's helpful about that is, what can help with that is the noting practice. So in your, in your sitting meditation, when thoughts arise, just note them, thinking, thinking, planning, planning, oh, remembering, remembering, worrying, worrying. Just start to see like it's just a playlist. Oh, that there's that song. Has that that one playing? Oh, and there that's it. Thinking about my mother, right? Blaming my roommate. There's that blame story. There's that one. We just start to see them as just these songs that play in the mind. That's the first. That's the first step. Is just being able to like name it, to know it, to see it as it is. Then, once we can do that, then there can start to be the sense of, of kind of a, just an observing of the thoughts coming and going. Usually when we observe thinking, it dies down. How many people noticed as soon as I said, okay, pay attention to your thoughts, it was like, they all disappeared. <laughs> Where did they go, right? <laughs> so, observing thinking, often it's just like the thoughts just start to fall away. And then one will come up and then it'll fall away. That's a very fascinating process. It's something to get curious about. And really, what is a thought? It doesn't have any weight. It doesn't have any substance. And yet, when we believe it, it's so powerful. It can make us do things. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, please. This might be the last, uh, last question we have time for. I have a similar question between calming and seeing. Um, it seems like in the beginning, like you just answered it, in the beginning you pay a little more attention to calming, which means I let my thoughts go by. Right. And then when I'm better at recognizing thoughts and letting them go by, then I can start with seeing Mm -hmm. a little earlier. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and you can start to notice what what are the things I think about? You know, you start to see certain patterns or themes, you know, like uh, for like on retreats, oftentimes I'll know, there'll be like three or four themes that just, it's just like, oh, there's thinking about planning about the future again, or thinking about work again, or thinking about my relationship. It's like, and those three things keep cycling through. And you start to see in your life when you're sitting, or if you're paying attention to your thoughts during your, during the day, you start to notice what the mind thinks about. So it's not just that we're, oh, okay, that's a thought, let it go. Oh, that's a thought, let it go. We start to notice, like, I really spend a lot of time planning stupid things. Like, I'm going to get the vegetables out of the fridge. I'm going to wash them. I'm going to go cut them. Like, I don't even think about that. I'm just going to do it later, right? We start to notice the, the, the content of the thoughts that come through our mind. And then we can start to have more choice about whether to follow them. We can maybe start to... Uh, look and see, like, oh, I, you know, there's an emotion there that I'm not feeling. And that's why I keep thinking about that thing, because there's something underneath it that I need to feel. Yeah, great. Okay, I think we need to stop here. So, um, thanks for coming, for practicing, and uh, making an effort, and asking sincere questions. Um, 
I, I think I want to end by uh, just really encouraging you to uh, to practice every day. It's really important. Even if it's just for five minutes, someone was asking a question on the break about, you know, is it important to meditate, to have a formal meditation practice since it's not the whole thing, you know? And uh, I think it is really important because our minds are very uh, impressionable. They're very impressionable. And all day long, they're being exposed to very powerful impressions from the external world and internally. We're continually shaping our minds. And so meditation practices is part of it is um, understanding how the mind is being shaped and really looking and saying, is that, the, is that the way I want my mind to be formed? You know, is this, is this the way I want it to be operating? So we start to learn how to, um, how to shift it, how to, how to uh, support patterns of thought, patterns of emotion, uh, patterns of uh, being that are more conducive to happiness and ease. And then we also start to learn um, how the very shaping process of the mind itself works and, and, how to, and how to not need a pattern, how to just be more open and not rely on, on a certain uh, program. So if you want to stay in touch, uh, invitation again to print your email address on the sign-up sheet. would be very happy to uh, see you again down the road at another event or, um, or maybe online. We do on, on this course, I do a, a live call every uh, week and a half or so, either myself or Jaya, my colleague. We, we do a Q&A for an hour with folks in the, in the course, so it's a nice way to... Um, get some support for your practice if, if, you, if you don't have a local group or you don't come to Spirit Rock regularly. And, um, and, and if, you're, if you're interested in, you know, like the question of, okay, how does this stuff apply in my life? Like really where the rubber hits the road in my relationships and, and my conversations, if you're, if you're interested in that, um, uh, definitely come check out my class in January on uh, mindfulness and communication. It's a very, uh, a very good training and a, and a very in-depth exploration of how these tools translate into our relationships. So let's just end with a moment of quiet together. So just seeing if there's anything from the day that you want to remember anything you realized or anything that connected or worked for you. Just make a mental note of that. So may we each uh, know more peace and happiness in our own hearts and lives and uh, develop the skill to share that with others around us so that there can be more peace on this planet. Thanks so much. Be well.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.